This is David Tarkington, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orange Park. You're listening to the teaching ministry of our church. If you have any questions, please go to our website, firstfam.org, or contact us at 904-264-2351. Good morning, it's David Tarkington, pastor here at First Baptist Church of Orange Park. Thank you again for joining us for worship today. As you likely know, planting churches is a part of what we do here at First Baptist Orange Park. And we uh, support a number of church planters around the nation and around the world. Today we have Jordan Floro preaching for us. Jordan and his wife Melissa and their children will be soon moving to New York City where they'll be joining the Sin New York City team to help plant a church in Queens. We are part of the Sin Network through the North American Mission Board and we are thankful to be the sending church for Jordan and Melissa Floro. Many of you have already sponsored him individually, and I encourage you to continue to do so, sponsoring him financially and sponsoring him especially with prayer. We are proud to have Jordan join our church planting team, and we look forward to the many, many great things to be done in New York City. Thank you, Pastor David, and thank you, First Baptist Orange Park, for the invitation to be here. Uh, Before we jump into God's Word, I just want to say thank you so much for all that you have done to encourage us in this calling of church planting. Uh, Just to give you a brief update of where we are right now, Uh, we originally were hoping to uh, head up to New York City in June, uh, but with coronavirus and obviously what it's been up in New York City, that timetable is really up in the air. And so uh, there's a lot of times where we plan things on our end, but uh, God has different plans. And so we're trying to trust the Lord through this time. And even in this season, God has been teaching us so much through this. And even just First Baptist Orange Park has been such an encouragement to us. Pastor David's been an incredible encouragement to us. And so thank you for praying. We talked about partnership. Uh, partnership is it starts with prayer and, uh, and it's participation. Um, and you guys have been walking through this with us and participating with us in this stage of our church plant. And so uh, we couldn't be more grateful for, for you, for those who have given to uh, the work that we're doing even already. And so uh, it, it's just an honor for us, to, for me to be here this morning to uh, join you in worship. And so uh, with that said, I'd love to pray, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to open it up to First Peter chapter 5. But let's open up in a word of prayer and just ask the Lord to speak to us in this time. Let's do this. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for um, the hope that we have through the good news of the gospel, that we were once far from you, God, but you have um, died in our place, made us righteous, God. And God, we are grateful that uh, we are now children, sons and daughters of God. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, God, I pray that you would speak in a a mighty way this morning. God, even though we're spread out across many different places, God, um, in in homes, with our families, quarantined, whatever, God, I, I just thank you that your spirit is with us and in us and that you can speak to us wherever we're at this morning. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do just that. We pray that you would speak uh, through the power of your word. God, I pray that you would put your words in my mouth and and that I would be uh, faithful to the word that you uh, have given us. Lead us and guide us in this time. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. 
Well, several months ago, I led a trip of students. We went to uh, the Ocoee River and we went whitewater rafting. And uh, it was one of those experiences. I don't know if you've had an experience like this, but it was one of those experiences where on the outside, I was calm, cool, and collected. I had to keep everything together because everybody in the group is looking to me as the leader. And so I kept every, I kept my composure and everything was, was great on the outside. But on the inside, I was absolutely just freaking out. And I don't know if you've had that that experience before of whitewater rafting, uh, but this was one of those that I look back on and I probably would never want to do it again, just being honest with you. Uh, but I just remember we were walking up to the river, walking up to get set in our place, and they start just talking through uh, what we're going to experience on the river. And he's giving us, our, our guide is giving us uh, just different commands that we need to uh, keep in mind throughout, where, throughout our trip. And uh, he starts naming off the names of, of some of the rapids that we're going to go over. And, and keep in mind, on the inside, I'm freaking out. Outside, I'm Joe Cool. But on the inside, I'm freaking out. And he starts telling us these names. So I'll read a couple of them to you. Uh, one of the, the rapids is called Broken Nose. Another one's called Diamond Splitter. Another one's called Slingshot. And then this is my favorite one. And, and really, it's not my favorite one. Uh, but it's literally called Hell's Hole. And so if you can imagine, I'm walking in, I'm a big dude, I'm walking in looking at the group of teenagers that I'm going to be riding down the river with, and, and I don't like my chances. <laughs> and so uh, either way, we, we jump in and, and we start down the river, and, uh, and they put me in the back of the boat, the back of the raft, and, and I'm back there with a girl named Whitney. And, and Whitney and I, we put this plan together that, that neither of us are going to fall out of this boat. Neither of us are going to get thrown from the raft. And we go over the first rapid, and we make it, and we think, this is great. Uh, but we get to the second rapid, and when we got to the second rapid, our, our guide, he just yells out, get down. And when, we, when he yells that, really what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to throw your oar and hold it up in the air, and you get as low in the raft as you can, because if you don't, you're going to get bounced out. And uh, even when we did that, uh, Whitney and I, we grabbed arms. We linked arms in the back of the boat. And what that did, I didn't get down far enough, and, and that thing double hopped me out of the raft and I'm literally flying in the air and we're still linked arms and I'm flying in the air and I'm thinking to myself, this is when I'm going to die, right? And so I'm flying through the air, we get, we hit the water and I just remember I grab Whitney's uh, life jacket and I throw her life jacket toward the boat. I throw her towards the boat. And what that does is that sends her towards the boat and that sends me in the opposite direction. And I'm looking at this and there's a giant rock formation in between me and the boat. And so I'm thinking, okay, this doesn't make sense. If, if they're going down that way, that's probably the safer route. I have no idea what's going to happen going down this way. And so I get really close with all of the rocks, every single rock I feel like I, I hit um, as I'm floating down the river. And finally, I just I smack into this giant rock structure. And I, just out of sheer exhaustion, I just lay there thanking God that I'm alive. And uh, it was a traumatic experience. It was, like I said, one of those things I did once. And I'm never going to do that again, just being honest with you. But one of the things that, that I think about with that story is that's kind of how 
in a way, the past few months have felt for some of us, right? For some of us, we feel like already life was this, this whitewater rapid that we're going down, and, and life uh, is already hard. It's already uh, chaotic. And then we hit this coronavirus. We hit uh, the economic uh, issue that we're in, government politics. All of that is like we're getting thrown out of the raft. And, you know, one of the things that you think about is, is that when you get thrown from the boat, surviving is the only thing that you're thinking about. And my question is, maybe these past months you felt that way, and you've been asking this question, God, why are you allowing these things to happen? God, why are you allowing my family to go through the things that we're going through? Maybe you're here this morning, and, and you're watching this worship service online by yourself, and you've been by yourself for, for the past six weeks, and you're asking God, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Because life was already chaotic, right? There was already the rapids of life that were happening, but it just seems like we've been thrown from the boat. Maybe for you, it, it's, it, you've got family there, but your finances are a mess right now because of this coronavirus. Maybe you're a small business owner and you've got uh, your, your finances with your business are chaotic and you're asking God, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Now, I remember several years, years ago, we were in Houston, Texas. And when we were in Houston, we had uh, Hurricane Harvey come through. And I know uh, hurricanes come through Jacksonville all the time. And, and you know, it's just kind of par for the course. It's almost a joke. Uh, sometimes, but uh, Harvey came through, and I'd never gone through a, a hurricane before. That was the first hurricane I ever went through, and it was an absolute mess. We had 51 inches of rain in five days. We had flooding throughout the city, and it was one of those moments, like we talk about, that just completely changed every aspect of life. And I remember our pastor, his name is Greg Mott, he, he got up and he asked, he said, you know, sometimes we ask God why. And we can drive ourselves crazy with why. We can drive ourselves crazy asking God, why are you allowing this to happen? And he said, the better question to ask isn't why, it's what now? Because you may never get the answer to why. Why may never come to a point where you're like, okay, that makes sense. I'm good with that. That may never happen on this side of eternity. And so instead of driving ourselves crazy with why, we ask that question, God, with this new reality, with this new way of life, what now? What is it that you want me to do now? And with that preface, I want to I look into 1 Peter because God uh, spoke through Peter in a, in a way that he uh, gives us almost a game plan for what now. Because to, to give you some context, 1 Peter was written to churches in, in a region called Asia Minor. And it was one of these letters that was written to be passed around. And the Christians that were in Asia Minor, they were being persecuted by Greeks and Romans. And it, they weren't Jews, right? And so they were Gentile believers who, who just fell in love with Jesus. Their lives were transformed by Jesus and literally got to this point where they lost everything to follow Jesus. And you better believe that they're asking those same questions that we're asking. God, why are you allowing this to happen? And in the same way, Peter doesn't give them the answer of why, 
but he gives them a game plan. He, he, he shares with them, here's what I want you to do now. This is what the future can look like for you. And so he gives, he gives us really three big uh, instructions and, and um, three aspects of a game plan here uh, that we're going to spend some time, we're going to talk about uh, to, to answer this question of what now. So if you would, uh, wherever you're at, I would love for you to pull out your Bible, uh, pull up your, your Bible app or whatever way you read God's Word, and, uh, and let's look at this together. Uh, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6, it says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He may exalt you at the proper time. Verse 7 says, Casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. The first thing that we see is that we need to trust God or we need to trust that God is at work in the midst of our mess. We need to trust that God's at work in the midst of our mess. You know, Peter's first charge to, to these, these churches in uh, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, um, first thing he says is that we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves. And um, I read this quote this week from a guy named Thomas Schreiner, and he says this, he says, humility manifests itself in handing over our worries to God, and hence it follows that worry is a form of pride. Worry constitute, constitutes pride since it denies the care of a sovereign God. The antidote to worry is the believer, or the antidote to worry is believer in and resting in God's care for believers. The antidote for worry is believing in and resting in God's care for believers. And so this first charge for us to humble ourselves um, is really to let go of the reins of our life. It is really what it comes down to. You see, because when, when life comes at us, when we have hardships that we experience in life, our natural tendency is to try to grab and control everything that we can control because it seems like everything else in life is out of control. And so we start controlling random stuff, right? We start, you know, saying, hey, that's my remote. I need to do this. We, we just have, you know, anger issues with, with small things uh, because we have this, this desire for control because it seems like everything else in life is out of control. And so when Peter calls us to humble ourselves, what we're doing is really relinquishing that control over to God. And, and it's not that we're passive about things, right? Passivity is that we just, you know, step back and say, I'm not going to do anything until all of this is taken care of. Um, we're, we're, we're faithful, but we're relinquishing that control. And we're not just giving that control over to, to whomever. We're giving that control over to the Lord, right? We're, we're realizing that, that he's never lost control. Although it feels like everything out is out of control, God's never lost control. Can we just admit that sometimes we face problems that we can't fix? And I think when we do that, we can come to this point of realization that um, there is so little in life that we actually do control. 
But what, what happens when we relinquish that control, what happens is that we realize that we have a God who has never lost control. And so for us, when life is a mess, when we face those hardships, the first thing is, is to, to humble ourselves and trust that God's never lost control. Now, I want to point some things out uh, in, in these, these couple of verses, two things specifically. The first is in verse 6, at the very end of it. He says, um, so that he may exalt you at the proper time. And I want to I focus in on those words, that proper time. And, and really, if you're one of those people who write in your Bible, I want to encourage you to circle that or underline those words, that proper time. Because I think this is really important for us to see and, and to trust and to understand. You see, what he's saying when he says that he may exalt you at the proper time, it's not that you go through and you pay your dues and you go through your suffering. And so then at that point, like, hey, I've done my time and now I have some leadership ability and now I'm worthy of this. It's really that you're exalted, you're brought out of the suffering that you're experiencing. And so that time that we're pulled out, sometimes we see that on this side of heaven. Sometimes we are going through hard times, and then we are able to see the resolve happen uh, in relationships, maybe some struggle that we have financially. Sometimes God can pull us out of that in miraculous ways. And man, praise God when he does that. But for all of us who are believers in Jesus, we can look at this and say there is suffering in on, on earth every single day that we face. But there is coming a day for the believer who has placed their faith in Jesus where God is going to pull us out of the mire and the muck and, and he's going to bring us and, and we're going to be in glory with God forever. And that's the hope of Christianity. That's the hope of the good news that, that this life is not the end, that we look ahead to a better and, and more glorious life, a perfect life where we can have unfiltered access to the Father and, and have uh, experience Him for, for the rest of eternity. And so that's the hope that, that he's talking about. But he, and he says, really going back, he says, man, that's going to happen at the proper time. And when we think about this, when I, when I think about this, I look at this proper time and I think, what that tells me about God is that God's not shaken by the things that shake us, right? God is not sitting up there reacting to the, the difficulty that we face and saying, oh man, maybe if I can do this, then this will happen, right? No, I look at this and I say, God is steady through this whole, through all time. God is steady. God is in control. And, and, and he is up there and he's saying, okay, at the proper time, I'm going to pull them out. And it's not something that he's anguishing over. It's not something that he has worry about. It's something that, that he, it, he has set up time for us, and he's in control. And for, for me, that gives me so much hope. That gives me so much peace in my life to know, man, these sufferings that I'm walking through, God's not abandoned me through those. Right? God's not lost control. I don't have a hope or a faith in a God who might come through. But at the proper time, 
this suffering that we experience, this, this anguish that we're experiencing now, man, God is going to pull us out because he's able and he's powerful to do that. So that's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing is in verse 7, and it says this, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Right? We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he will pull us out. He'll exalt us at the proper time. But I love that he says this. When we have worries, when we have struggles, when we have things that, that keep us up at night, we don't need to suppress those things. We don't need to ignore those things. We don't need to put on our smiling church face and say, man, everything's great. When we know on the inside it's not. We have a God who wants us to come to him with our pain. We have a God who wants us to come with our worries to him because he cares for us, because he cares for you. God cares that you feel lonely. God cares that you are struggling. And he's not distant from you this morning. He's close to you because he cares for you. I want to read you a couple of verses uh, from the book of Psalms. And, and sometimes when I'm going through hard times, I just love to open up the book of Psalms because um, David and, and others who wrote the Psalms were so honest. Um, and and they, he gives us great examples of, of how we cast our cares on him. But I, I just want to read you a couple of Psalms um, that show how God cares for us. In Psalm Chapter 40, verse 17, it says this. It says, As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Psalm chapter 34, verse 17 and 18, it says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I love this from um, Psalm chapter 68, verse 5. It just says, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in holy habitation. When we struggle and when we have difficulty, when we have hardship, whatever that may look like, God's not distant from us. God's not abandoning us. God's walking with us and he's close to us. And the way that we reach to him is by taking those worries and those struggles to him. You see, that's how we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, by, by not trying to fix all of our problems, by having control, but by taking those problems to the feet of Jesus because he cares for us. Such a beautiful, a beautiful thing. Let's keep reading in, in 1 Peter, um, verse 8, chapter 5, verse 8. It 
says this, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Verse 9, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Right? The second thing that, that Peter gives us in our, in our game plan, first thing we see is that, that God is at work in the midst of our mess. He cares about us in the midst of our mess. But the second thing is that in times of struggle and in times of hardship, be aware of attacks. Be aware of attacks. The first thing that Peter gives us and, and shares with us is to be sober-minded and to be watchful. And really with this, um, this idea of being sober-minded, uh, the way that I kind of structure this in my mind to, to comprehend this, it, it really comes down to three things. The first thing is asking this question, what is it that I dwell on? What is it that I dwell on? Um, when you think about when, when life is hard, where do you go? What is it that your mind just gets lost in? Do you get lost in, in things that are rooted in, in the gospel, things that are rooted in the goodness of God? Or do you get lost in things that are rooted in bitterness and jealousy and envy? Right? One of the things that, that causes us to not think clearly is when we delude our mind by dwelling on things that we should never be dwelling on. Because they're not things that bring us closer to the Lord. They're not things that bring unity to the body of Christ. They're things that, that drive the, these, this resentment in our hearts. And we can often find ourselves dwelling on those things. So what is it that you dwell on? Right? The second thing is, what is it that you're distracted with? Right? Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter says to, to be alert. Right? What is it that you're distracted with? Um, so much of sin that we can fall in starts with a distraction. Right? You hear over and over again that, that you never go from, from being a faithful husband to deciding, hey, I think I'm going to have an affair tonight. Right? It always starts with just a small distraction. It starts with these small compromises. And these small compromises lead us to, to just the, these big mistakes and these big sins to where we find ourselves and ask the question, man, how did we ever get here? How did we ever get here? The third thing that, that with this and being sober-minded and being watchful or, or being alert is really how is it that you make your decisions? How do you make your decisions? And, and I, what I mean when I say that is for, for some of us, when we are experiencing hardship, and it's one of those things where it seems like we're, we're being thrown from the boat and we're just trying to survive, we start being driven to make decisions by our feelings, right? We start feeling, okay, if I'm angry, I'm going to react to that anger, right? If I'm hurt, I'm going to react to that hurt, and we start being driven to make decisions by our feelings. And, and here's what I would say about feelings. Uh, feelings are a friend that will stab you in the back, Right? They're a friend, but they will stab you in the back. And I say that they're a friend, and I love this from our friend at 1122. Joby Martin shared this a couple of weeks ago. He said, that, um, he said that feelings are great indicators, 
but terrible decision makers, right? They're great indicators in that they, they show up in our life and it's like, whoa, I need to pay attention to what, what's happening right there. But when we decide or make decisions based on those feelings, man, that leads us to a lot of heartache. It leads us to a lot of destruction and a lot of regret. Um, and so when we think about this, what is it that you're making, how is it that you're making your decisions? Because if you are clear-minded, if you're sober-minded, you're going to have feelings well up. There's going to be, there, there's going to be anger that wells up. There's going to be bitterness that wells up. But, but, but that struggle that you're feeling, you're going to be able to set that aside and say, okay, but what does God's Word say about this? What does God's Word tell me? How should I respond to this? And church, it's important for us to understand that you cannot, and me, me as well, we cannot do God's will in our life if we're not in God's Word, right? We can't respond to our hardship in a biblical way, in a godly way, if we don't know the book that God has given us, the Bible. And so for us, rather than responding to our feelings, we take a step back and wisely go to God's Word and pause right? Feeling's a friend. It helps. It helps us to realize, man, there's something here, but I'm not going to let that feeling drive my decisions. I'm going to go to God's Word, and I'm going to respond in a way that God would have me to respond. And so when these attacks come, one of the ways that Satan attacks us is he causes these feelings to, to well up in us, and we respond in a way that we have to go back and apologize for afterward. But Peter says, man, don't do that. Just be sober-minded. Take a step back. Allow those feelings to happen. But man, take a step back and, and respond in a way that's clear-minded, that's level-headed. He goes on and he says that um, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. Man, that's a thought. Man, I wonder what we would do differently if we knew that prowling in bushes are roaring lions ready to attack us. I think we'd live a little differently if we, we had that actually happening in our life. But it says that he's looking for anyone he can devour. In verse 9, he says, Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. You know, what does that mean to be firm in our faith. Um, being firm in your faith is, is persevering in your communion with God in spite of that hardship, right? And so when we understand that we have an enemy who wants to destroy us, but we still are, are focused on persevering to have communion with God, in spite of that hardship, that's when we have that firmness of faith. It's not enough to say, okay, I read my Bible today. I went through my prayers today. I, I you know, attended church online today. But, but it's that we seek communion with God, not just the disciplines, but not without the disciplines, right? So it, it's we seek communion with God through Bible study, through prayer, through fellowship with believers, because these are the things that, that keep us firm in our faith, that keep us strong in our faith, not because we're strong, but because God works through these things in communion with us to keep us firm in our faith. 
I love what Donald Whitney said. Or said. Donald Whitney came and he, he spoke um, at a church event a couple, I guess it was last year, and he said this. He said, because God's plan of sanctification involves building faith and perseverance, you will have areas of life that require perseverance. Right? You can't have sanctification without perseverance. Right? And so this is one of the ways that God uses these hardships. We walk through this hardship and, and we persevere through those hardships. And, and what happens is we grow closer to the Lord and we become more like Christ as a result that we would never have been able to do apart from that hardship. And so Donald Whitney says, man, if, if you're going to have, if you're going to be sanctified, if you're going to continue to grow and be like Jesus, the way that we have to do that is through perseverance through those hardships. So we stay firm in our faith. And Christian, let me encourage you. There are times in your walk where you want to quit. There's times where you will experience doubt and you will struggle but don't quit because it is in those times that God is working in you and you will grow through that and you will be better through that. It may always be hard and it may always be tender to think about, but you will recognize that through those hard times, God meets us in that hardship in ways that he never meets us when we're on the mountain. So persevere in this time when it's hard and don't quit. The other thing that we see in these verses is that we're not alone in our suffering. We're not alone. And he says it right here. He says that it, the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. One of the things that the devil tries to tempt us in is to tempt us to believe that we're the only ones. You know, you can read back in, in the Old Testament, you can read about Elijah who struggled with this in a very honest and open way where he said, man, I'm the only one who's following you, Lord. Man, how many times have we been there? Man, I'm the only one that's experiencing this. Nobody understands the struggle that I'm going through. But what Peter says is, man, you're not alone. There's other believers that are walking. And we look to those other believers and, and we see how they persevere through that hardship. And those, those believers give us encouragement to continue in our walk. This is why it's so important for us as Christians to, to look back in church history and look back and, and, and read about missionaries like Adoniram Judson who went to a Burma, and he spent seven years in Burma struggling to share the gospel with people, and for seven years never saw anybody come to faith in Christ. But man, his perseverance, God used his perseverance to change a nation to where now, in that same region where he was, they're sending out missionaries, and it's amazing. And so we can look at this and say, God, man, my ministry that you've given me, you called me to this. This is something that, that I feel like this is what you want me to do. And I'm just not seeing the fruit. And, and Christian, hear me, persevere. Because there's others like Adoniram Judson, like George Mueller, like Hudson Taylor, who experienced these hardships. 
There's Christians and missionaries right now who are overseas, who are persevering in the face of persecution that we can look at and say, man, we're in this together and there's a commonality, there's a unity that we have with other believers who are also suffering, who are also struggling. You're not alone. You know, the worst thing that we can do as Christians is to run to isolation. And in this time, maybe like you, with having a little bit more time, I've been able to read a lot more than uh, what I've been able to in the past. And, and so I'm just reading a lot of, a lot of stuff, and it, it's been really fun and really exciting for me to, uh, to be able to read, just because I don't get that opportunity very often. Uh, but one of the things that I've read, it, it's a small little booklet, and it's only about 60 pages or so, uh, but it's called 10 Signs of a leadership crash. And it's by a guy named Stephen Mansfield. And this guy is fascinating because Stephen Mansfield is, he, he was a pastor, uh, but now he's almost like a consultant. And what he does is he goes into major organizations, major sports teams, major, I mean, large, large churches where there's been a leadership crash. And, and you have a CEO who embezzled money. You have a, a pastor who fell morally. You have um, somebody in, in, in this high-ranking position make a big mistake. And, and he wrote a book about the 10 things that he sees that are kind of common throughout all of these crashes. And, and I'm not going to go through all 10 of them. Um, it, it's an interesting read. And, and it's also something that you read kind of introspectively and say, man, I, I kind of feel like I struggle with that one. And there are things that you don't necessarily, um, they're not what you would expect, I guess. Uh, but one of the things is, uh, that the leader or influential person that falls, um, it, it's kind of common throughout that they all have these periods of isolation, right? They, they all have these times where they, you know, used to hang out with a group of friends and now they don't, right? They used to, to, to be in the middle of people and, and now they're, they're kind of pulled off. They're closing their door. They're spending more time away. They're not spending time with their family. And it's not, not this, this time of solitude that's the spiritual discipline that's really good. It, it's this destructive isolation where they're hiding. And I want to read you what, what he says, what Mansfield says. He said, here's the deal. Isolation is a distress flare. Fight it in your own soul. Be courageous to confront anything that, that tries to drive you into your own remote emotional jungle and love your friends enough to pursue them. I can't tell you how much damage has been done because friends sat around wondering what to do when a lifetime friend pulled away. You know, Peter's right. In these times of hardship, um, we need each other. We need each other for, for when we're experiencing hardship to, to have a group of people, have people that we go to, uh, but we need people who, who can come after us where they recognize those things. And we recognize that we all are in this together, that we are all feeling feelings of anxiety and depression at times, and, and we need each other. We need to go after each other. It's, it's incredibly important. Moving on in verse 10, it says this. It says, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, 
strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. In verse 11, to him be dominion forever. Amen. Peter reminds us that this life is not the end. The struggles that we face are not the end. He says in verse 10, that the God of all grace called you to his eternal glory in Christ. And again, if you're somebody who, who writes in your Bibles or circles in your Bibles, that's, that's something to, to circle, that's something to underline. That reminder that, that we've been bought by God. We've been redeemed. And it says this, he says, he will restore you. Right? That word restore, it means to redeem or to bring you back or, or to reestablish you. And you're going to be established with God in perfect relationship with him. And then he goes on and uses three, three other words. Uh, establish. Right? You're going to be established. You're going to be fixed firmly on, the, on his word and truth. Right? You're not going to sway because you're established because you've been called. Second thing is that we're strengthened. God gives us the strength, the, the ability, the power to meet the demands of life. Right? God gives us His strength, and it's not a strength that comes from our own will or, or desire, but it comes from the Lord. That anything God calls you to, He's going to work through you to accomplish that calling. And what He's called us to, and, and what Peter shows us, is He's called us to his eternal glory, right? He's called us to, to life, and he will strengthen us to give us the, the power to meet those demands. And then he's going to support us. He supports us and he equips us to continue the work that he's called us to. And for some of us, we just need to remember this. And maybe this is the, the only reason that, that you're watching this this morning. But we need to remember this important truth that when God calls us, nothing can separate us from His hand. When we're saved, we've been bought with a price and we are firmly in His grip. And in this time of hardship, God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you God is close to you. And for some of us, we are trying to hold on and be in control of everything. But what I want to encourage you to do this morning is to confess that. Cast your cares on Him. Not so that you can get more money, not so that you can you know, have more status, but simply because the Creator God cares for you, and he loves you. I want to read this quote from Andrew Murray, and we'll wrap up. But Andrew Murray was a preacher in the late 1800s, and uh, one morning he was, uh, he spent the night before, he was preaching at a large, large church, and he was staying overnight with his family, and, and he woke up one morning, and he had uh, just incredible back pain, and it was something that he had an accident, I guess, before, and, and for years struggled with this back pain, and if you ever had uh, significant back pain, you know that it just, it wipes you out. You can't, you can't 
hardly do anything. Um, and so just in his time alone with God, he wrote these words, and, uh, and I want to read them to you this morning. But this is what he said. In time of trouble, say, first, he brought me here. It is by his will I am in this straight place. In fact, I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his child. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to learn and working in me the grace he means to bestow. Last, in his good time, he can bring me out again. How and when, he knows. Let me say, I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training for his time. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with this God. Maybe your life is that you have been in that raft with chaos, with no peace. Let me encourage you this morning that, that the Lord is not far from you. And in fact, what Scripture teaches us is that, that he, His Spirit is pursuing us, that He pursues us. And maybe just by watching this this morning, God is, is pulling on your heart to respond by committing your life to following Jesus. The way that we do that is we understand the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He came as a man, fully God, fully man, and He lived life perfectly. He never sinned. And He lived a life that we couldn't live. And because He was the perfect sacrifice, He died a murderer's death. He died a death that he did not deserve. But he died that death as a way to substitute himself on our behalf. And so when he died on the cross, we are able to gain by that because it's as if we died, but he died in our place. Three days later, he rose again from the dead. That's why we celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus overcame death and through his resurrection, we can have new life with the Lord for all eternity, just as we read about this morning. And so if you're here this morning and you'd say, you know, Pastor, I, would, I don't know all the things to know about the Bible. I have made mistakes in my life, but I want to live life for the Lord. Know that there's nothing you have to change beforehand, that you can come as you are and all of your struggle, and all of your shame, and all of your guilt, and offer that to the Lord. And He will forgive your sin. The Creator God, who we sinned against, will forgive your sin. And He will replace your sin with righteousness, which means when He looks at you, He doesn't see the shame or the guilt. He sees that you have a right standing with God, that you're in that you're in the family of God. And the Bible describes that when we're in the family of God, we are his children. We can come boldly to the throne because we're children. And so I implore you, please, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord, 
understand that the gospel wasn't good news for everybody else. The gospel is good news for you because you can be made right with God. And in the midst of a pandemic and in the midst of chaos and life's hardships, you can have a peace that passes understanding through the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. If you'd like to know more about what it means to follow Christ, I'd encourage you to, to follow some of the links to the church website and they can connect you with a pastor or, or a leader in the church who can help disciple you and help you walk through this, this new uh, decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you would like to get connected with a group or you'd like to get connected with some other believers who can encourage you because life has been hard in these past days and you just need somebody to talk to. We would love as a church to encourage you in that way. I, I thank you so much for, for joining us this morning, for, for taking part in this, this worship service. Um, and know that we are praying for you.